and led an advance up the hill. The British were jubilant at their enemy's flight, and it was clear they felt invincible. They walked a little taller in their wavering hats, the fierce African sunlight glinting off their helmets and weapons. Teviot was at their head, a tall athletic figure on his white horse. He looked like a god, although Rayner knew he was anything but. The governor of Tangier was a vain, stupid man, whose incompetence was matched only by his venality. The Corsair commander timed his ambush perfectly, splintering Teviot's column into clusters. There was immediate panic. The British had been trained to fight in a specific formation, and did not know what to do once their orderly line had been broken. Teviot did his best, bawling orders and laying about him like a demon— Grudgingly, Rayner admitted that for all his faults, the man was no coward. The battle was short and brutal. Pikes and short swords were no match for ten thousand scything scimitars, and the British were cut down in ruthless hand-to-hand skirmishing. Teviot managed to rally a few men at the top of the hill, where he mounted a brave last stand. But it was hopeless. The Moors advanced in an almost leisurely fashion, and Teviot was hacked to pieces. Without a word, Rayner, Harley, and Newell rode back to Tangier, ready to feign shock when the news of the catastrophe reached the town. They did not have to wait long. Miraculously, about thirty soldiers had managed to escape. They stumbled through the gate, shaken and bloody, gasping their tale to the settlement's horrified residents. Rayner closed his eyes to the wails of shock and disbelief, telling himself that the massacre was Teviot's own fault for choosing the wrong side in the struggle for riches and power. His master had had no choice but to order his elimination. But he was uneasy, even so. The order to kill Teviot had been delivered with a ruthless insouciance, and Rayner had sensed a dark and deadly power. Not for the first time since he'd been recruited, he wondered whether he had been right to throw in his lot with such a person. He'd been promised a handsome payment, it was true. But what good was a fortune, if he was not alive to enjoy it? If it was decided that those who had engineered the atrocity were too great a liability— and should be dispatched themselves. But what was done was done, and there was no going back. He, Harley, and Newell would just have to ensure that no one ever learned the truth about what had transpired on Jews Hill that pretty spring morning. And if that entailed more murders, then so be it. Queen Hythe, early October, 1664. It had been a pleasant voyage for the passengers and crew of Eagle. The sea had been calm, even across the notorious Bay of Biscay, and the winds favourable. The cargo comprised luxury goods from the eastern Mediterranean, so there were no noxious odours from the holds to contend with, and the journey from Tangier had been made in record time. Now they were almost home. They'd sailed up the River Thames that morning, arriving at London Bridge, 
just as the drawbridge was being raised to let mastered ships through. The timing could not have been better, and Captain Pepperwell was pleased with himself as he conned his ship towards Queen Hythe. Then he glanced at his passengers who had gathered on deck to watch Eagle Dog and felt his good humour slip a little. An irascible, unfriendly man, Pepperell much preferred those journeys where the guest cabins were empty. Still, he'd been paid to monitor these particular passengers. Although it had not been easy, they'd been almost as reluctant to socialise as he himself. And the information he had gathered was meagre. Of course, that was not to say it was unimportant, and he believed it would be very gratefully received. They were the usual mixed bag. Reverend Addison was Tangier's chaplain, returning to London for a holiday. Thomas.